When I look at a grave, I can't help but wonder, what is their story? Sometimes there isn't enough information available to find that out. But I'm conscious in that space that there are so many lives that have been lived. Adventures, tragedies, and triumphs. Today's story is one that I was able to dig into, and what I found was so much more than I anticipated. A story about a man who wrote a song that has circled the globe millions of times over. What lies beneath? James Lord Pierpont. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. Files, I'm your host, Lachelle. Today, I have my holly jolly son, <laughs> Dallin, with me. It's on me. <laughs> or should I call you a son of a nutcracker? Yes, I am the original <laughs> son of a nutcracker. On my recent trip to Savannah, I visited a historical cemetery, which is not surprising. It was called Laurel Grove. You always hear about Bonaventure Cemetery as being the big draw in Savannah, as far as cemeteries are concerned. Laurel Grove does not get the recognition that Bonaventure does. It's not quite as large. It has 67 acres to Bonaventure's 100 acres, but it has so many sculptures and all the Victorian gravestones that you would expect to see in a cemetery from that time. It is really beautiful. Many trees with Spanish moss hanging and ornamental plants and flowers, really just an amazing cemetery. But one of the biggest bonuses we found was that while Bonaventure is just packed with people and groups of tourists with tour guides bellowing out its history, Laurel Grove was not busy with people at all. We pretty much had it all to ourselves. Not a tour group in sight. There is a busy highway going between the north and south parts of the cemetery, so it's not completely quiet per se, but it is a pretty and peaceful resting place and with nobody in the way of my camera shot. <laughs> we saw so many graves and there will be a lot of stories that will come from Laurel Grove, but we came across a grave that is relevant to this time of year, so I just had to tell it today. This stone was square and of white marble and said only James Pierpont, and beneath the name was a stanza of music. Now I read music and could tell it was a line of a song, not just random notes on a staff to resemble music, so I worked it and it went like this. Da 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 da. Da, 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 da. Jingle bells? Why would he have jingle bells on his gravestone? I wondered the same thing. So we looked him up on the handy dandy website named Find a Grave. And as it turns out, James Pierpont wrote 
the song Jingle Bells. I honestly had no idea who wrote it or where he is or yeah. where he came from. So, so you know me. Oh, yeah. What lies beneath and all that. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So here's what I found out. Just a little more about Laurel Grove. It's on the west side of Savannah on a portion of what was once the Springfield Plantation. Named after the native laurel oak trees which once inhabited the site, the cemetery was developed in 1850 as the old cemeteries approached capacity. Laurel Grove North is unique in that all the available cemetery lots were sold out during the Victorian era, and as a result, this park-like cemetery probably has the highest concentration of Victorian period cemetery architecture and headstones and sculptures in the southeast. Laurel Grove North is 67 acres designed around a natural ravine and includes a large central green with curving roadways, a keeper's house, porter's lodge, gazebo, and public holding vault were built by 1853. And these historically significant structures are used by today's Department of Cemeteries. Now, here's what I found out about James Lord Pierpont. What a name, right? James was born in Boston, Massachusetts on April 25th in the year 1822. His father, the Reverend John Pierpont, was a pastor of the Hollis Street Unitarian Church in Boston and was a staunch abolitionist and a poet. James's mother was named Mary Sheldon Lord, which explains his middle name. John and Mary Pierpont had six children, James attended boarding school in New Hampshire at the age of 10. While at the school, he wrote to his mother about an amazing sleigh ride he took through the snow during his stay. So do you think the memory would be what he writes the song about? I think it was. He lived in the South most of his life, and as we all learned from The Year Without a Santa Claus, the heat miser never allows it to snow in Southtown. Amen. <laughs> In 1836, at the age of 14, he runs away from boarding school and becomes a sailor on a whaling ship called the Shark. I've been there. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> he then later joined the U.S. Navy. He served until he was 21. By 1845, he returned to New England where his father was the pastor of a Unitarian congregation in Troy, New York. James married Millicent Cowie, the daughter of Farewell Cowie and Abigail Miriam, in the late 1840s, and they settled in Medford, Massachusetts, where they had three children. In 1849, he got what they call gold fever. He left his wife and children and went to California to attempt to profit from the gold rush, but his business failed. He also worked as a photographer. His business failed after his goods burned in a fire. Didn't have much luck in the gold rush. Or like anything else. <laughs> Not much so far. And just left his wife and kids and was like, hey, I'm going to look for gold. <laughs> yeah, marriage counseling moments. Yeah. On March 27th, 1852, James Pierpont published his composition, The Returned Californian, based on his own experiences in San Francisco. It was originally sung by S.C. Howard of Ardway's Aeolians a mistral group. The song describes Pierpont's experiences during the gold rush and the failure of his San Francisco business. 
It says, oh, I'm going far away from my creditors just now. I ain't the tin to pay them, and they're kicking up a row. The wow. U.S. <laughs> <laughs> um, it rhymes. It rhymes. <laughs> the U.S. Library of Congress possesses a copy of the original sheet music for the song. <laughs> so I guess that one's not printed on its gravestone as well. <laughs> So in this song, he says, there's my tailor vowing vengeance as he swears he'll give me fits and sheriffs running after me with a pocket full of writs. And whichever way I turn, I am sure to meet a done. So I guess the best thing I can do is just to cut and run. I don't see any sleigh bells in there. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of sounds like what his experience was. He must have had creditors that were after him and... Sounds like he ditched out and took off. He also talks about how he wishes those tarnal critters that wrote home about the gold were in the place the scriptures say is never very cold. Is that in the scriptures? <laughs> For they told about the heaps of dust and lumps so mighty big, but they never said a single word about how hard they were to dig. So I went up to the mines and I helped to turn a stream and got trusted on the strength of that delusive golden dream. But when we got to digging, we found twas all a sham, and we who damned the rivers by our creditors were damned. Oh, I'm going far away, but I don't know where I'll go. I otter travel homeward, but they'll laugh at me, I know. For I told them when I started I was bound to make a pile, but if they could only see mine now, I'd rather guess they'd smile. <laughs> If, of these United States, I was the president, no man that owed another should ever pay a cent. And he who dunned another should be banished far away, and attention to the pretty girls is all a man should pay. <laughs> huh. You know, I have been a gold miner in my own time. I once found that my cousins had some gold pants, and we went into the back and dug a hole. And we didn't find diddly crap. So I too know what it's like to come home empty-handed. <laughs> but imagine leaving your family and putting all your money into it and then having to go back home and being like, yeah. How long was he gone? Because that would be really awkward. Hey, I know it's been a couple Not really years. Not really sure. I apologize. It was a couple years, I think. I didn't come back with anything. We're still poor. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry I left you all alone. Oh boy. To manage your finances with three small children without me oh gosh so he moves back to massachusetts and to should. his wife in 1853 pierpont had published new compositions in boston among them kitty crow and the colored coquette a minstrel song pierpont also published an arrangement entitled the universal medley Pierpont published several ballads and polkas, such as the Know Nothing Polka. In 1854, Pierpont composed the songs Geraldine and Ring the Bell Fanny for George... <laughs> what are these titles? For George Kunkel's Nightingale Opera Troupe. He also copyrighted the song To the Loved Ones at Home in 1854 and Poor Elsie, a Ballad written and arranged expressly for Campbell's Minstrels. In 1855, he composed The Starlight Serenade and also I Mourn for My Old Cottage Home. In 1857, 
Pierpont had another successful hit song composition with a song written in collaboration with lyricist Marshall S. Pike, The Little White Cottage or Gentle Nettie Moore. So you've mentioned minstrel groups and minstrel shows. What are they? I have just a few memories of seeing something about them in really old movies, but what I can dig up about them was that during the 19th and very early 20th century, they were a type of stage show and entertainment. In a minstrel show, white actors and performers put black makeup all over their faces. This was often called performing in blackface. And this was done to imitate African-Americans through caricatures and stereotypes. So the shows usually included jokes, ballads, comedic songs, soft shoe numbers. Of course, we recognize today that these shows were clearly racist. Yeah. But unfortunately, at the time, they were not often viewed in that light. Minstrel shows instead became very famous around the country and were widely performed, but is now, of course, regarded as highly offensive. And James wrote songs for these shows? I'm not sure if he wrote them specifically for the shows or were just used for the shows, but in a word, yes, I think he did. Obviously, like, nowadays, that's just, like, absurd, but at the time, I mean, not so much. I mean, I just think, like, imagine going to the bar every Friday night, like, hey, what do you do for a living? I write songs for minstrels. That is me. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either, but kind of another weird twist to his story. So now in 1856, his wife Millicent passed away. Gold fever, I'm sorry. <laughs> she passed away of gold fever, darling. You are not <laughs> You're not funny. I'm not laughing at that. <laughs> was it like yellow fever? Only it was gold. That was a high five, not to her abusing me. <laughs> After his wife died, he then leaves his children with their grandfather and follows his brother, who was another reverend, John Pierpont Jr., to Savannah, Georgia, where he would accept a post with the Unitarian congregation. James became an organist and music director in his brother's church. To support himself, he also gave organ and singing lessons. The organ is presently in the possession of Florida State University. We never really hear where he gets his musical training from, do we? No, I never did find any of it in the source material, but he learned it somewhere, didn't he? He could play the organ and write music and maybe took his lessons as a child or his mother may have been musical and taught the children. I don't know. So while he was in Georgia in August of 1857, James married Eliza Jane Purse, daughter of Savannah's mayor, Thomas Purse. She soon gave birth to, their, to the first of their children, Lily. In August of 1857, his song, The One Horse Open Sleigh, Ooh! which we now know as Jingle Bells, was published by Oliver Didson and Company in Boston. The song was copyrighted on September 16, 1857, and in 1859, it was re-released with the title Jingle Bells, or The One Horse Open Sleigh. The song was not a hit either time. The popularity of the song, however, grew with the passage of time. 
the song was originally performed at a Sunday school concert. Well, that's why it wasn't popular. In Savannah. <laughs> There's no hallelujahing to that. <laughs> they say on Thanksgiving in church. Wait, on Thanksgiving? Yeah. Is he outside his mind? <laughs> that seems like a strange place to debut the song. Yeah, especially with the lyrics about sitting by Miss Fanny Bright uh-huh. and go it while you're young or hardly silent night or uh-huh. church type songs, right? And nowhere does it mention Christmas yeah. or Jesus. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the minister had something to say after that. but uh... Yeah, his brother. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. That was Ooh. an awesome brother moment. More family like, counseling moments brother. <laughs> But I think we just associated it over time with the Christmas season because of the snow and the merry sleigh ride, I guess. Yeah, so it was like, oh, it's Christmas because it's snow and having fun. But it really says nothing about Christmas in the song. So here, I'm going to have you read the original lyrics. They've changed just a bit over time. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. Or the hills we go. So oh. that's different. We say fields. Over the fields we go. Yes. Laughing all the way. Ha ha ha. It's not written in there, but we all know it's there. Bells on bobtail ring, uh, making spirits bright. Oh, what sport to ride and sing a slang song tonight. Yeah, that doesn't sound as good. So that's different too. A what sport to ride and sing. Interesting, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the chorus, as we all know, jingle bells. Jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride. Uh-uh. What? It's, oh, what joy it is to oh, ride. Oh, you got me good on that one. I wasn't even reading at that point. <laughs> oh, what joy it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> oh, what joy it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what joy it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Oh, that's good. Okay, verse two. There's second verses? There's more than two. You know, the funny thing is I'm not even going to know the differences in these other verses. I've never seen the other verses. That's true. Well, this is what it says. A day or two ago, I thought I'd take a ride. And soon Miss Fanny Bright was seated by my side. The horse was lean and lank. Misfortune seemed his lot. He got into a drifted bank. And we got upsot. I guess that means it got turned on its side. It upset. And I just still imagine him singing this in church. See what I mean about Miss Fanny Bright? Yeah, that's a little awkward. Who was seated by my side, and then they got him going a little too fast and turned over wow. the sleigh. Then there's the third verse. Apparently, there's more <laughs> than two. <laughs> a day or two ago, the story I must tell, I went out on the snow... And on my back, I fell. (laughs) Oh, man. A gent was riding by in a one-horse open sleigh. He laughed as their eye-sprawling lie quickly drove away. (laughs) So he falls in the snow, and a guy sees him laying there and laughs and drives off. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Why is this? Why does this exist? I don't know. This is just morbid. Uh, There's one more verse. Now the ground is white. Go it while you're young. Take the girls tonight. And sing this slang song. Just get a bobtailed bay. 240 at his speed. Hitch him to an open sleigh. And crack you'll take the lead. <laughs> so in the song we have riding too fast. 
mm-hmm. getting the ladies, mm-hmm. crashing in the snow, mm-hmm. getting laughed at, and <laughs> having a fun time doing it. You've pretty much nailed it. It's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> You've also been there. <laughs> Three times. <laughs> oh, brother. So, I don't know. When you take it at its whole, you kind of go, hmm. I just feel it's like... It's fine. <laughs> I guess it's just all fun. Yeah, I mean, the song to me has never actually meant, like, it's never really, I mean, obviously it's a Christmas song, but it's not a Christmas song. You know, mm-hmm. we don't sing it at church. <laughs> we don't, you know, I don't sing it all the time and people run around singing it. I'm like, why are you doing this? I mean, obviously it's just a huge tradition in our life and I just didn't know those other verses and they were terrible. Yeah, they're not that great. <laughs> why is that a thing? I don't know. Terrible. A few sources also say that it was first performed in a minstrel show. Oh, no, well, there it is. When One Horse Open Sleigh was first printed, it was dedicated to John Ordway, who was a Boston doctor, composer, and organizer of a troupe of white men performing in blackface called Ordway's Aeolians. That's what we were talking about before. Remember, after he failed as a gold rush prospector, James wrote his song about it, and it was to be performed by Ordway's minstrels. Well, a playbill from September 15th, 1857 has been uncovered, and it was for a show by the group, and it lists a performance of One Horse Open Sleigh by Johnny Pell, who was a member. I'm confused. Who's Johnny Pell? So he was a member of the troupe. Oh, cool. So he was part of this minstrel group and says it was performed by him. Wow. So, again... Did he write it for the minstrel show or did they just go, oh, you got a new song? I mean, it is kind of goofy and makes fun of himself. I mean, maybe they thought it was a great addition. I mean, I could see a guy falling on his back on the stage and someone else laughing at him, I guess. You know, it could work. It's been claimed that Pierpont wrote Jingle Bells in Medford, Massachusetts in 1850. There's even a historical plaque in Medford claiming to be the place that commemorates the birthplace of Jingle Bells. They say that he wrote the song while drinking in the Simpson Tavern a year after his father took over a nearby Unitarian church. So there's kind of a rivalry between Medford and Savannah about who is the real birthplace of Jingle Bells because Savannah also has a plaque and believes that it is the place that James wrote Jingle Bells. Wow, these people really, they really care about that. They really care about it. (laughs) Wow. So the date, if not the place of the song's composition, is unlikely, given the research by Boston University faculty member Kaina Hamill. She found that he was still in California chasing gold in 1850, so he couldn't have been in Medford, writing Jingle Bells. Oh, how the turning tables have turned. (laughs) Well, they turned all right. They turned all right. Well, in 1985, Savannah erected a historical marker of its own across from the Unitarian Church, where Pierpont was music director at the time that the song was published and possibly soon after was written in Savannah. Hamill surmises that Pierpont wrote the song in the early summer of 1857 while temporarily living in Boston in a rooming house. So does that mean that neither was the place that he wrote, if she is correct? That's the question. That is the question. (laughs) 
One thing that we do know is that James Pierpont's memories, at least, of sleigh rides and sleigh races took place in Massachusetts, not Georgia, when writing the song. Well, there you go. By the time the song was released and copyrighted, Pierpont was in Savannah, Georgia. In 1859, things were starting to heat up, so to speak, between the North and the South. And the Unitarian Church in Savannah was closed because of his brother John's abolitionist preaching, which was pretty unpopular in the South. And by 1860, the Reverend John Pierpont Jr. returned back up to the North. So while his father and brother took fire stands against slavery, James stayed in the South, in Savannah with his second wife, Eliza Jane. And at the beginning of the Civil War, he joined the Confederate Army in the Lamar Rangers, which became part of the 5th Georgia Cavalry. Records indicate that he served as a company clerk. Oh, as a clerk? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do a double check there. <laughs> Oh, that's a clerk? <laughs> that's not the Civil War I was expecting. <laughs> We're going to war. Count my money. <laughs> I fought in the war. I'm a Confederate clerk. As a clerk. What's your... I'm a failed gold miner and a Confederate clerk. What do you do with your life? <laughs> and I write songs for tacky minstrel shows. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, it's great. His father in the North also served in the military as a chaplain but with the Union Army and the Massachusetts 22nd Infantry. He was stationed in Washington, D.C., and later worked for the U.S. Treasury Department. This put James and his father on the opposite sides of the Civil War. I can't imagine. I can't imagine being on opposite sides of the Civil War, but neither of them fighting. <laughs> Battle of the pen. The pen is mightier than the sword, ladies and gentlemen. Battle it out. Okay. <laughs> so they didn't fight so much, okay? So they didn't really fight in the war, but they were part of the war efforts on opposite sides. And just supporting opposite sides of a war in a family would be very intense. It'd be very yeah. splitting. The sad thing is that I found a grave in his same plot at Laurel Grove that was for his brother-in-law, and it was his wife Eliza's brother, Thomas Peirce Jr., who was in Company B, 8th Regiment, in the Georgia Infantry. And he actually died in the first Battle of Bull Run on July 21st, 1861. Well, the Bull Run was no picnic because there was all this contention from the first battle and the mm -hmm. North was pissed. Mm -hmm. And then they really came down with everything they had. And it was, it was pretty intense. Yeah. And so he was actually one of the first men to die for his Confederate states country dang on that side in that battle i mean obviously they all knew people and had close people that were in the war as well and they served where they could yeah. after the war james moved his family to valdosta georgia where he taught music in 1869 pierpont moved to quitman georgia and there he was the organist in the presbyterian church and gave private piano lessons and taught at the academy. When he retired, it was as the head of the musical department there. In the 1870 census, it listed their household as Pierpont James, 48, Eliza J, 38, Lily, 16, Thomas, 8, Josiah, 5, and Maynard B, 4. So did he not have any more kids with this wife? These four were from this marriage. So what I don't know is that much about his children from his first marriage. Oh boy. 
And on Find a Grave, it only listed one of his children that was a daughter. And so I haven't really dug deep enough to find out how, just exactly how many children that he had. But here it has him with four children living under his roof. Gotcha. In 1880, Pierpont's son renewed the copyright on Jingle Bells, but he never made much money from it. And it took quite an effort to keep his father's name permanently attached to the song after the copyright expired. James's wife, Eliza Jane, passed away in 1889 at the age of 59. And she's also buried there in their Savannah family burial plot. Pierpont spent his final days at his son's home in Winter Haven, Florida, where he died on August 5th, 1893. I believe he was 71. At his request, he was buried in Laurel Grove Cemetery in Savannah beside his brother-in-law, Thomas, who was killed in the war, and his wife. Yeah. And also, there is a little son buried there, James Pierpont Jr. He was born in 1859 in Savannah, so right there before the war, and died in 1860 at just eight months old. Dang. So that's a sad little fact. So here are a few interesting facts. James's older sister, Juliet, married millionaire Junius Spencer Morgan. And their oldest child, John Pierpont Morgan, followed his father into the banking business and became a powerful financier. Ever heard of J.P. Morgan? Oh, such a fun fact. So here's another one. Nine days before Christmas in 1965, the two astronauts aboard the Gemini 6 had just completed a rendezvous with Gemini 7 when the crew suddenly gave a troubling report to Mission Control. They said, we have an object. Looks like a satellite going from north to south, up in a polar orbit. He's in a very low trajectory, traveling from north to south, and has a very high climbing ratio. It looks like it might even be a... Uh, very low. Looks like he might be going to re-enter soon. Stand by, one. You might just let me try to pick up that thing. The tense report of a UFO was suddenly broken by the sound of jingle bells, with Wally Shira playing the melody on a tiny harmonica, and with Tom Stafford shaking a handful of small bells they had smuggled aboard the space voyage and played this colossal Santa prank on mission control. I love that. Oh, my childhood. <laughs> there are many parodies of the song, Jingle Bells, Batman Smells. My childhood <laughs> has been well-known parody since the mid-1960s with many variations on the lyrics. Bart Simpson sings it on The Simpsons <laughs> in the episode Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire in 1989. That part is not my childhood. <laughs> I don't know if that's well, where that came from. it's been around since the mid-1960s. I mean, <laughs> it was part of my childhood, your childhood. I and thought I was just original. We'll be around in your your children's children's hoods. Oh, I think Pop childhoods. is just singing it. Childhoods. Childhoods. Anyway, it'll Plural. probably, <laughs> it'll probably be around for your children. Wow. Parodies of novelty versions of Jingle Bells have been recorded by many artists, including... Yogi Jorgensen's Jingle Bells, De Uper's Rusty Chevrolet, Bucko and Champ's Aussie Jingle Bells, 
the Three Stooges, Jingle Bell Drag, <laughs> and Jeff Dunham's Jingle Bombs performed in his Ahmed the Dead Terror sketch. <laughs> Another popular spoof of the song is Pumpkin Bells, a pumpkin carol which celebrates <laughs> Halloween and the Great Pumpkin. It originated in the Peanuts book of pumpkin carols. <laughs> Thank you, Linus. A booklet based on the Peanuts comic strip and published by the Hallmark Cards in the 1960s. The Australian Aussie Jingle Bells broadly translates the idea of the original song to the summertime Christmas of the Southern Hemisphere. It talks about dashing through the brush, kicking up dust, and after Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle All the Way, <laughs> it's Christmas in Australia on the scorching summer's day. Hey. Haha, hey. <laughs> 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 it's really great. Uh, that's for all of my Aussie taffophiles. Then there's other songs that have the lyrics or the melody of Jingle Bells in them. There's Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms, personal favorite of mine. True, there's no Jingle Bell Rock without Jingle Bells. What about the first notes to the chorus of Jingle Bells are at the beginning and end of Bing Crosby's It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas? Well, a guitar passage at the end of Nat King Cole's The Christmas Song and Clarence Clemens performing a saxophone solo in the middle of Bruce Springsteen's Merry Christmas Baby. That's true. And yeah. in, in Santa Claus is Coming to Town, that's that too. I love Nat King Cole. Yeah, he's so smooth. What a man. He sings so just, it's butter. Mariah Carey uses a bit of the melody in her song, When Christmas Comes. <laughs> and Joni Mitchell's 1971 song, River, begins with a melancholy version of the chorus on piano. Oh, you know what? I can actually play that on piano. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah. Good for you. I know. I didn't know that that was like a song. That's cool. The song is literally known all over the world. You could probably sing the tune in almost any country, and they would know that it was Jingle Bells. We've all sung it in grade school, played in band concerts, waiting for Santa to show up for an event. (laughs) Now you have to sing loud enough so Santa will come. And we hear it in every store you go in this time of year. That was stressful that I had to sing for Santa to come because I was scared <laughs> that I wouldn't sing good enough and he would, he would leave. Aww, <laughs> like Santa darling. come back, jingle bells. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that James Pierpont had any idea what he started? I don't. It didn't really gain much fame until later. I hope his descendants smile every time they hear it. At their rascally revel of a great-great-grandpa who wrote the holiday classic. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh O'er the fields we go, laughing all the way ha, ha, ha. Bells on bobtails ring, making spirits proud with Stones, Bones, and Shadows. Merry Christmas! You filthy animals.
links, and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook, like us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, and leave us a comment. We love to hear from our listeners. Voices and boundless energy is hard on the neighbors.